With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What's up, college basketball fans? Welcome back into the Sidelines Podcast. I'm your host, Evan Daniels, college basketball insider over at FS1, as well as the director of basketball recruiting at 24-7 Sports. I was formerly with Scout.com. 24-7 Sports has bought out Scout.com. Today's episode of the podcast, I'm going to bring in a pair of guests, and we're going to start with Nebraska head coach Tim Miles, one of the the funniest people in the business. And we talked about a a bunch of different things, including when he knew he wanted to be a college coach. He compared coaching at the Division II level to the Division I level, which he's done both of, and we discussed his current Nebraska team. Then I brought in colleague from Fox Sports, Doug Gottlieb, and we broke down the two big headline games from last night. I'm referring to Duke and Michigan State and Kentucky and Kansas. So we talked about the big storylines and topics from that event. Before we get to those interviews, I want to make sure that you are subscribed to this podcast. You can do that on Apple Podcasts and or your favorite podcast app. Other ways to support this podcast outside of hitting that subscribe button is leaving a rating or a review. You can also shoot me a note over on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at Evan Daniels. Without further ado, let's jump to that first interview with Nebraska head coach Tim Miles. It's time to go with Evan Daniels. Send it in, big fella. Now making his Sidelines podcast debut, the esteemed Nebraska head basketball coach Tim Miles. How are you, Tim? I'm great, Evan. Thanks for having me on. You're uh, you're a rock star, and I just you know I, I just love being part of it, man. Your light shines so bright; it warms us all. I, I appreciate that, and uh, I'm glad to have you on. And I think we've got to tell listeners how we got to this point. So, Coach gets on stage at the Big Ten Media Day a couple of weeks ago, and he starts talking about transfers, <laughs> and he brings up marriage, and he takes a little minor jab at me. And then he proceeded to tell everyone in attendance and suggested that I need to get on Match.com and that it works. So that's that's how we got to this point. Yeah, you know, in 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 retrospect, maybe I ha- shouldn't have jumped to such a conclusion because I mean, <laughs> you're a dapper young man, you've got great personality, <laughs> um, and of course that says a lot about your look. So um, as we look at this, you that know, could be I, the about I, me. Only- that could be the about me on my Match.com page. <laughs> I, I, w- I was just uh, doing my best to be a servant of the people and help. Uh, and, you know, I, 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 I'm glad I'm on the podcast. <laughs> well, Tim, I know that you, you for a long time, wanted to be a, a basketball coach. Yeah, your assistant, Kenya Hunter, told me that when you were young, you even drew a picture of yourself on the sidelines. Well, uh, pro- yeah, probably. And I also had the uh, – um, when I was 10, my mom gave me an envelope. Uh, we owned a weekly newspaper, and I had written down the, the rules of basketball, the 10 rules or six rules of basketball. And they had very profound things on there, like um, don't always shot if, uh, if someone else is open. Get a big lead. Keep scoring if you can, which 
I, I highly recommend even to this minute. <laughs> get the rebounds. Uh, get opened. Uh, just, you know, very good stuff, you know, about sharing the ball, about playing with the lead, about very, you know, fundamentals. And I was 10. That's when I realized, you know, basketball isn't that complicated. So maybe I can do this. Were, were there any mentors or, or people in your life when you were young that, that kind of uh, you looked up to and were able to kind of help you get in this business? Yeah, we had a really – I'm from a small town. Uh, graduated number seven in my high school class, Evan. You know, there's 13 of us in the, in the class. So <laughs> You didn't um, even get 50%. <laughs> yeah, four of us went to college. So, <laughs> um, But, no, honestly, uh, that's true, by the way, all of that. And uh, But as I looked at this, you know, we only had two channels, and my dad bought an antenna to get a, a, a third network, which is ABC for us, that we couldn't get out in Dolan, South Dakota. And so – um, watching tape delayed NBA games and listening to Brent Musburger and those guys and, and uh, uh, Jack Ramsey and then uh, listening to college games with, of course, Al McGuire. You know, I just, I just loved, um, you know, uh, watching the broadcast and learning about basketball. And, and, and we didn't have many opportunities, so I built my whole week around when there were games on. And it was just one of those things, you know, you watch a game, listen to the – former coaches talk about it and then go play, you know, when you're, uh, you know, uh, when you're in middle school and all that stuff. And, and then we had a couple uh, local colleges that were really successful, Northern state and Aberdeen, South Dakota, Huron college, very colorful coaches. Bob walks was the coach at Northern Bruce carrier was at, at, uh, um, Huron college. And we'd go watch those games and the coaches were, were bigger than the game. They, they had such a life about them. And you just kind of, you know, for lack of a better term, that coach worship, you're just like, oh, man, that guy, he must be something else, you know. And, 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 and I had different coaches every year I was in school uh, because we we're such a small town. Guys would, you know, just move on. So, unfortunately, I wasn't a good enough athlete for anybody to stick around. But at the same time, I got a lot of different points of view and, and just loved basketball my entire time growing up. If you weren't coaching, and, and this is actually a question I've been asking a lot of people. I've gotten some interesting answers, but if you weren't coaching, uh, what, what would you be doing? Mike Boynton told me he would uh, own a, a morgue. Uh, Jay Wright said he'd be a barista on the beach. Uh, Kevin Keats told me he'd be a comedian, which I think kind of fits you. Yeah, maybe I'll do a duo with Keith. You know what I would do? I would do a um, morning ra- uh, radio show with Saul Phillips um, out of Ohio. Saul was my assistant. Our goal someday is to have a radio show, probably be like a Seinfeld thing where we just talk about normal things, and people would say, you know, hey, did you listen to the show today uh, with Saul and Timmy Boy? Uh, <laughs> is that your radio Timmy name? That's going to be your radio uh, yeah, name, I Timmy Boy? So. I think that'll be my radio name. <laughs> I've trademarked it. Don't worry. No, anyhow. Um, but, you know, uh, as we go, we will be, by the way, we won't be podcasting. We'll be audio on demand. Right? I've already got that. And, um, uh, you know, it'll be, it'll be really good stuff, but it'll be, uh, things that you'll say, what'd you got to show today? And you're like, I don't know. There's really no news. I don't know what they said, but it was pretty fun to listen to. It'll be something like that. I, what's stopping you two from doing this now? <laughs> we have jobs. <laughs> I, I'm trying to win some damn games here, Evan. <laughs> By the way, I, I, I do have some advice from one of my counterparts, uh, uh, you know, I, I heard Chris Collins uh, say that one of his dreams was to, because I listen to your show, actually, you know, like I'll flip on some tape and, and just hit the, bro- the the podcast and listen. 
because it's actually audio on demand yeah. instead of video on demand. So I just listened, and uh, I heard Chris asking for someone to invite him to Augusta National. And as a man who's played it twice and had six rounds on it um, and uh, made a couple pars at 12, of course, and uh, you never ask to get on Augusta. Uh, you just take the invitation if it comes your way. So some helpful advice to Chris, I, although I think it's too late. Wow. So uh, I'm not going to uh, ask. Yeah, just, I'm not uh, going to ask to play golf at Augusta. I promise. You would ne- you you would never do that, would you? I mean, why why would you ever do that? I mean, if you're lucky enough to get on, you just appreciate the lifetime opportunities that it was. And I am very grateful for mine. Fortunately, Chris hasn't got there. Maybe a few NCAA tournament uh, appearances will get him closer. But I think you need to take him with you. Just, well, I really don't like him that much. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he'd give me enough strokes, actually. So uh, that's why. Yeah, I've heard he's but, pretty good. Um, he's good. He's good. He likes to tell you he's good too. I like Chris. He's all right. <laughs> well, Coach, let's let's dive into your career some. Uh, after playing at, at Mary, you were a Division Two assistant coach for six years. What what were those years can, like? Can you just stop for a second? Can you stop? Yeah. I practiced at Mary. All right. I was the on the all practice team. I was one of the best practicers you've ever seen. Um, I didn't play that much. So um, playing is, you know, the reason I got into coaching is because I was so used to sitting at the end of the bench, second-guessing the guy at the front of the bench. (laughs) I just decided to move closer to him. And uh, so maybe I could be heard that way. So anyhow, uh, yeah, I went and actually at Northern State was the start of my career as a graduate assistant, then five years as an assistant coach, also was director of athletic development at the same time. And um, uh, oversaw student teachers, worked at a sporting goods store where I made trophies and T-shirts, stuff like that. Um, Sometimes uh, my girlfriend is my wife at the time. I would make little cute messages to her on on a trophy plate, you know what I'm saying, and then smuggle that out and give it to her uh, like it was this huge golden gift or whatever it was. (laughs) Well, I was romantic. And... um, uh, but no, I was a NEI two assistant coach. We had great, I coached for Bob Olson. Of course, if you know Northern, you would have known Don Meyer, uh, replaced coach Olson, who was my head coach, um, uh, a few years after I left and was the head coach at Southwest state. But, um, uh, uh, Bob had great success. He was a really good coach. We played for two NEI, uh, national championship games, lost them both. Uh, we, um, we also lost in the national semifinals. So we had three straight years where we were like 30 and five, 28 and six, and uh, and 34 and two. And so you know you were used to winning. I took the head coaching job at Mayville uh, and was taking over a program that had been four and 44 the two years before I got there. And we were lucky enough to win right away. We went to conference championships, went to the national tournament. Then I got the Southwest State job where it was Division two, and we went to the Elite Eight, where uh, it was funny. The, the guys in the Elite Eight that year were Ray Harper, who's down at Jacksonville now. Um, uh, there was uh, uh, Jim Ferry, who was just at Duquesne most recently. Uh, Bart Lundy, who was the head coach at High Point at one time. And so, uh, you know, it was fun seeing all those guys on the circuit here a while back. But, you know, uh, that was a, a great uh, deal. And then I took the North Dakota State job because it was really a good job, one of those regional land-grant schools where you actually like, got a car. That was a big deal. I had two full-time assistant coaches, and and um, and about seven months into it, uh, we um, we our AD pulled me in, who was just uh, newly uh, hired, Gene Taylor, who's now at Kansas State, 
And Gene says, you know, uh, I'm just going to let a few of you coaches know that we're going Division One. I've got a mandate. We're going Division One, So just prepare accordingly. And I, I don't know if that meant I'm going to fire you in nine, nine months or, you know, whatever. But well, we actually got through – we actually got through the the reclassification pretty good. That was one thing I wanted to ask you. How how difficult is it leading a program through that type of transition? Because I know there's a, um, I think it's five years where you can't go to the NCAA tournament. Yeah, it's, it's really four because your last year of Division Two, you can still play live Division Two in your what you call a probationary year or whatever it might be. I don't know if you know what probation is, but you, you probably do, a restraining order. I, I mean, whatever. But, um, uh, no, as you look at this, um, uh, don't give me that Ed McMahon laugh either if it's true. I mean, it's just out there. It's okay. But um, as we look at this, um, then you have four where you're dead, and I coached the team for three of them, and Saul Phillips took over when I went to Colorado State. But we were actually independent, too. Some programs are getting in, and they're able to play a league schedule. You know, um, and and that's helpful to have, you know, games on a regular basis in January and February. Uh, but we were trying to create events. We had um, what now is actually was uh, a great West Conference at one time with uh, we had Utah Valley, uh, Texas Pan American, which is now, I think, a Rio Grande. Uh, uh, we had um, Fort Wayne, who's in the summit. North Dakota State now is in the summit. Uh, South Dakota State, who's in the summit league. And then we went out to NJIT, and we kind of formed that as a as a, a conference, so to speak, where we we you know would play each other home and away and, and do all that fun stuff. And there was even a time uh, Winston Salem State was in there for a year with us too, but then they went back to Vision Two, and um, and I call it the OAA, the Orphans Across America. But <laughs> for whatever reason, nobody wanted to go with that as a yeah, let's try and become a conference here. But just as I was leaving North Dakota State, the Mid-Continent Conference accepted us in South Dakota State and was rebranding themselves as the Summit League. And, um, and uh, that's difficult to play every game, knowing it's an uh, it's a, uh, exhibition game, so to speak. But we went 16-12, and 16-12, and 12, and 20-8. Uh, and eight. and we beat uh, the first two ranked teams I ever played in Division I uh, were both on the road, and we won them both. And uh, uh, we beat uh, Wisconsin when they were like 13 in the country. Uh, and then the next year, next season, um, we beat Marquette at Marquette. And so, um, you know, Wisconsin was a real fun state for, for me for a while in 2006 or seven or whatever it was. But, um, you know, as we went forward, uh, we redshirted 15 out of 16 guys. I talked to a lot of different coaches. Of course, Jerry Krause was consulting and might still be, I don't even know, with Gonzaga and one of the things he went through it at Eastern Washington as the head coach, so I talked to Jerry, and he said, you know, the redshirting has really helped us at Gonzaga, and um, I highly recommend it. Well, we redshirted out of necessity because, you know, the only way that those freshmen coming in were going to play in the um, NCAA tournament was if they redshirted, and then their fifth year, their senior year, they had one chance to make it. And in 2009, Ben Woodside, Michael Nelson, Luke Mormon, uh, uh, Brett Winkleman, uh, those four seniors, and Tom Lundy had got hurt and uh, had several concussions that give up his career. But that recruiting class in their first year of eligibility made the NCAA tournament. Uh, Woodside made That's a last cool. shot, yeah, against Oakland, and then they went and uh, to Minneapolis and gave Kansas the business and got beat. But Woodside put about 39 on the board on Sharon Collins, and and uh, I was there watching, of course, as the Colorado State head coach crying. 
uh, because there they were, and I was like nine and twenty-two or seven and twenty-five or whatever, rebuilding that program. Uh, and my wife says, "When are we going to stop rebuilding and just enjoy this for a while?" And um, but I was so happy to see that dream come true for those kids. And NDSU's been to the NCA three times now since they went to Division One in '09. And uh, Dave Richmond, who was my assistant at the time too, uh, has taken them. Saul Phillips took them a couple times and even beat Oklahoma. Uh, his second time in there, so it's uh, it's it's been fun to see that you know building process hold and hold with guys I know and love and that we all did it together, and right. so it's been pretty cool. I'm still advising our heart that way, and uh, but that was a tough gig, man. Yeah, I think one of the things I was curious about, and and outside of just you know resources from a money standpoint, what's maybe the biggest difference from coaching at a Division two and NAIA school uh, to a Division one school? Well, uh, uh, the salaries are much different, of course. Uh, that's where a, a great part of the portion goes, but really it's travel uh, is where the other part goes. And then when you start, uh, you're able to buy home games and get more home games. You know, just it, the more you build the program, the more financial it gets. So anybody could almost go do it, you know, financially, if you're going to play everything home and away and just travel um, and then pay, uh, you know, a little more in, here, there, and the other way, but um, as you start to add things up, really the things that come into play are, you know, the amount of travel you do, the amount of recruiting travel you do. Uh, we go worldwide, and at North Carolina State, I had 11 guys from the state of Minnesota on scholarship when I left, you know, so I just drive to Minneapolis or, you know, Albertly or, you know, wherever, um, and, and, and we had, you know, a large number of players right there that we thought were good Division One players and we could use them. And and, um, and I think North Dakota State still is fairly regional, you know, as you look at their recruiting. And it's very good in that league. Uh, so as you look at it and you go higher and higher in the stakes, it's harder to get elite players the further you got to go. And then if you run an elite program, of course, the money goes up because your expenses go up. You have more home games and the smaller schools ask for more money. And, and um, salaries, you know, are higher because the market value is higher. So, um, because there's a lot of these guys that generate a whole bunch of good things, and I'd like to think we do too, during a, generate a lot of good things for the university and for the athletic department, whether it be in fundraising or goodwill or whatever it might be. But um, it's, it's you know, the difference between a D2 and a moderate Division One are not much. Gotcha. Now uh, let's fast forward to your, uh, your current job. You, you seem to have a, a quiet confidence with your current group. You're two and zero, coming off a win over North Texas. What, what have been the the bright spots for for your team after the first two games? Well, I you know we're putting a new group together, and they're and they're um, I, I like their learning curve. You know they they they've corrected mistakes. Uh, you know we've also had a you know I we, I thought we did a good job in the preseason. We went down to Mississippi State for a charity event uh, to. Uh, trying to help out the Salvation Army of the South, uh, you know, trying to help rebuild since hurricane, uh, the hurricanes and the, the, you know, the devastating storms. And we beat Mississippi State down there in a, you know, in a game. And, of course, nobody's ready to play a game. But still it says something about these guys to go out there and do it. Uh, we had an excellent scrimmage against uh, Iowa State when they were, you know, fully healthy and all that fun stuff and had everybody there except for Hans Grace. And I thought we performed well there, too. And so – to come out and get a couple wins right away too has been good because, you know, we've got different guys in different roles. You know, James Palmer was at Miami, 
And I, I give James, I, I use the um, example of me being the youngest of five. I was the little brother. And a little brother, you know, gets to hang out with the older kids and the family if you don't bug them, if you're doing it right, keep your mouth shut. You know, if all this stuff goes right, you get to hang out with them. But the second you become annoying or whatever, you're skipped home or you're out of the mix, right? They leave you back. And James was that at, at Miami. It was like, let's put James in, see how it goes. Uh-oh, uh, that was a bad shot. There's a turnover. He's out. Or, no, he's rolling tonight. Keep him in. Well, here he's a go-to guy for us. James has got to perform, perform well. He's got to play defense consistently. Got to handle the ball. Last night he had five turnovers. You know, so getting these guys like Isaac Copeland, who played Princeton offense, and, and now we're a little more wide open and getting them acclimated and comfortable uh, has been hard. But these guys are just eager as heck to, to want to embrace new roles and, and help us win, which I think is pretty cool. You, you said at, at Big Ten Media Day, um, you were talking about where you guys were picked in the league, and, and you said, and I quote, I think we're going to outperform that, and I expect we do. Why will you all outperform that? I, we have more depth and talent than we've had. Um, I think that will help. You know, we've had some uh, – we've been thinned out for several different reasons. Last year we had a late grad transfer go, uh, and then we got uh, one of our perimeter guys hurt, and then our starting center got hurt when we were 3-0 in the Big Ten. Right. We just won at Indiana, who was ranked at the time. We won at Maryland, who only lost our second-ever Big Ten game at home. A lot of things going well, and all of a sudden our center shows up, you know, and, and with a stress reaction – and we, we miss him for eight games. We lose seven of them. And we just didn't have enough, you know, with the late transfer and then injury and injury. And this year I think I've got enough to withstand some of those things that go on during a season like injuries, knock on wood. And, um, and so I think we'll be better. And I think we've got more talent than we've had. So um, that, that's going to go. We have to shoot the ball better. We have not shot the ball well two out of the last three years. We need to, we need to make threes. And if we, if we don't, it won't matter because uh, – you know, the three is such an important uh, weapon in everybody's offense nowadays, and these young people are becoming more adept and more skilled than ever. And it's hard to believe we just moved the three-point line out a few years back, and it's really, I think, improved the game. Uh, but I think percentages continue to go up. Uh, and uh, I think there was a lot of thought when we moved out, oh, boy, that's going to really change everything. And I don't think it's affected the game at all. You also mentioned cohesion and that this team may have more cohesiveness than your past four teams, I think is what you said. How do you go about building that type of um, cohesion with your team? Well, I think, you first of all, uh, you, you have to uh, recognize in the recruiting process guys that are willing to get along with other people, guys that are really buying in, and, 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 and still you need a certain amount of talent and, and uh, ability to succeed at the level of the Big Ten. So you balance that out because sometimes you might take a guy that doesn't fit perfectly, uh, but yet he's good enough to really perform well. But this group just happens to have a bunch of groups, uh, a bunch of guys are all, like I tell them all the time, you're all just going to turn up to like each other. And so that's a good thing sometimes. You know, these are, these are good guys who enjoy being around each other. Uh, but I really think that's something you have to identify in recruiting and understand then what you're willing to, um, what, what, what are you willing to give up in the recruiting process? You know, it's, it's just not always going to be, you know, a kumbaya around the fire pit where everybody's happy and everybody's going because losing stresses everybody. And Nebraska is difficult in terms of we're a major media market in our own way. Um, there's no pro sports franchises. You know, if the backup uh, quarterback has a hangnail, I think everybody in the state knows it. 
Uh, same thing with basketball. We overdraw our capacity in the arena. We sell out our gym every night, and um, we've been in top 11 because that's all the higher we can get in attendance. Uh, and uh, and it's something that our, our fans really support. But there's a fishbowl, too, of fans, of media uh, that, that really can, um, you know, if you're not doing well, it can affect you. How important is uh, Glenn Watson to this team? <clears throat> wow, he's, he's, he's our catalyst. He makes, it, he makes things happen. He's, uh, I think he's on the verge of becoming an All-Big Ten player this season or next. Uh, he's a terrific guard. And he's, he's hard to uh, get under control, and he's becoming a better and better, more vocal leader. Uh, Glenn is just uh, – he's really fun to watch, man. And uh, he can he – can, he's a gamer, too. I remember his fifth game ever uh, were tied or up one against Rhode Island, and, and Bobby – or uh, Danny had a really good team. Uh, uh, Coach Early had a really good team, and, and uh, we come down, and, and uh, Glenn hits a step-through 12-footer with two on the shot clock and like 20 on the game clock to put us up three and they went down and missed the three and we got the rebound and i'm thinking to myself there's not many freshmen that a would shoot a shot that late in the clock and b have it be a dribble left shot fake step through leaning from 12 feet in and just knock it in uh you know that tells you a lot about glenn right from the get-go no question last question uh coach before i let you go uh, I know you talked about Augusta earlier. If you could play any golf course, uh, what, what would it be? Well, we've got terrific golf courses. I, I've been fortunate to play, you know, the likes of Augusta National, Pine Valley, Oakmont. A good friend of mine uh, got me on Oakmont here recently, and we played Sand Hills, which is about number nine in the U.S. out here in Nebraska. Um, I've not been west and played golf. I haven't played Pebble or any of those west uh, those those courses out west, but I hope to soon. So I would say I'd play any of those courses I just mentioned again. They're, they're awesome. There's nothing better than being a, a basketball coach on the golf course off a season where you've just made the NCAA tournament, man. You feel like a king. And, um, uh, you know, it's nice to have an outlet. But, uh, uh, Evan, as you know, um, you know, we spend a lot of time traveling. We spend a lot of time, uh, you know, uh, away from our children and away from our families. And so when we do get a, a fun chance to do something like play golf, it's fun when it's spectacular. So um, uh, I'd go back to any of those. Got it. Well, Coach, I, I appreciate you taking the time out and jumping on the podcast. I'm, for one, glad you were back on Twitter and uh, look forward to uh, seeing you on the sidelines in that red and blue checkered jacket. Thank, well, thank you very much. And I look <laughs> forward to having you on the Salty and the Timmy Boy uh, audio on demand here someday soon and uh, uh, you know it, it'll be a lot of fun you'll probably be a big TV personality or or just media entity in yourself uh, EJD Incorporated <laughs> I'm guessing is uh, something like that and, but I appreciate you having me on of course uh, good luck this week see you coach this is Tom Izzo Michigan State is headed to the final four and you can leave it to Cleve and he's running out onto the floor he has reinstated the magic at Michigan State. You're listening to the sidelines with Evan Daniels. Now let's welcome in Fox Sports One colleague Doug Gottlieb to the sidelines with Evan Daniels podcast. Doug, uh, thanks for jumping on the show. How are you, man? I'm good. Uh, happy to be back in hoop season. Yeah, me too. Let, let's jump right in, and I want to discuss the the two big games. Uh, last night, and we'll, we'll start with Duke-Michigan State. I, I thought this was an awesome game, and man, did 
I thought Duke looked really good, especially without potential number one draft pick, Marvin Bagley. And Grayson Allen was awesome, wasn't he? He was. Um, and, I mean, like, look, part of it is the difference in freshmen, freshmen and seniors and even sophomores and seniors. Just Not just the confidence, just the ability to make shots. And um, every time he seemed to get an open look, he made it. And there's some looks which weren't that open he made. And so I think, you know, to those of us who who know Grace now and the player, we know that, like, all the nonsense covers up the fact that he's, he's really, really good. And not having a point guard really the past two years has taken away in many ways from what he does best, which is just get buckets, make, you know, make shots, get buckets, get to the basket. And having Duvall alongside him has, has, has made that obvious. Yeah, I thought it was it was interesting. That was the first thing he said after the game was how much easier Trayvon Duvall made life for him. And look, I, I, everybody's talked about Marvin Bagley and and Coach K talked a ton about Grayson Allen in the off season and how he kind of thought he was going to have a big year, but his shooting numbers weren't great. But I thought Trayvon Duvall changed the game for them. Ten assists, six steals. Obviously, they sat back in that zone, but his length was a, was a factor. No, no question. I mean, look, he's a big-time athlete. He can get to the rim. Um, he obviously is not a very – I mean, everybody who knows him knows he's not a very good shooter. Not making free throws either. And I think you know, that's one of those things that when you get in a conference play, people are going to adjust to them. They're going to change who they're guarding him with. And I was, I was a little surprised Michigan State didn't, didn't do that. I mean, I know Tum Tum can be ineffective on offense, but, you know, why not put him – just have him chase around Grayson Allen – and you could put Langford on uh, on Duvall and just kind of help and be in the lane and you know not guard him. Um, but that's not how Michigan State really plays. So yeah, I mean, look, it's a when when Mike Shashevsky has had a legit point guard, his teams have done well, <laughs> really, really well. And uh, I'd had people tell me like Duvall's decision making wasn't great. I think his decision making is not great because there are times in which people don't guard him because he's not a good shooter. Um, but I mean, he helps you at both ends. He obviously is, is looking for Grayson Allen and more than anything, it allows Grayson Allen and it'll allow Marvin Bagley to play off the basketball and just be themselves. And I mean, think about that win to beat a really good Michigan state team and do so essentially without Marvin Bagley. That's, that's pretty impressive stuff. Yeah. Very impressive. You know, I, I thought there was a lot of question marks coming into the season because Trayvon, Went out to the Nike Skills Academy and didn't play well, and a lot of the NBA guys were down on him. 30 assists in three games, three turnovers last night. I'd like to see him pass up on some of those three-point attempts. I mean, he, he's not a good shooter. That's that's pretty evident, but uh, I, I was really impressed. Well, here's the here's the thing, Evan, is I'm going to disagree with you a little bit. And, <clears throat> what he, and I thought Billis talked about a little bit but didn't really – he didn't really get into it, and maybe he doesn't really kind of understand the mindset of a guy who's not a good shooter. But I, I, I think he actually, Bill has touched on it, and he could have gone further into it, but the game was going on. There are shots in which, he, he, yes, he, he doesn't need to take, uh, you know, contested threes, you know, shake and bake in place, jump up and shoot a three. But, you know, when a ball comes inside out, you know, from a post or from, you know, dribble penetration, that's the shot you always have to take. And the reason is, like, that's the shot you've taken the most in your life, whether it's your mom and your dad, your coach feeding you in the driveway or the right. the gym you grew up in. Those are the, 
rhythm jump shots you have to take because you have to keep the defense honest. Because, like, look, right now, I mean, you know, you played three teams that had no chance to beat you. Um, but when you get against legit competition now, people are going to get a book on you. And what happened to the skills academy was they just weren't guarding it. Guys didn't respect the shot at all. <clears throat> and that's going to happen as they as they get into, like, the PK-80. People are going to play one-man zone against them. Um, and and there's also some times in which people say, well, you you got to pass up in those jump shots and drive. Well, you're driving into arms and driving into traffic, and they're not going to give you a call. And, oh, yeah, by the way, he's not making the free throws. So I, I would say he just needs to have in his mind what is, what shots – can I make the, the high percentage of and cut out the ones that I can't, you know, don't shoot off a pick and roll. That's a hard shot. Your body's moving one way or the other. Right. I mean, unless that's your go-to, but catch and shoot rhythm jump shots. Got to take those because if you don't, now all of a sudden the court shrinks when you're on the floor and all the other things you've been able to do to be effective, uh, will go away. And like, look, um, Duke, I'm sure will realize that, as they stop guarding him, he can, you know, he can do some weave action, some dribble handoffs because there'll be nobody on him. There's some other things they can do with him off the basketball, which makes him a good screener, makes him a good cutter. But I, I still think that I would agree with you that the shooting numbers were bad, and there was a couple shots he, he he needs to not take, and he did he did stop taking jump shots, but he started driving into traffic. But you have to take those ball reversal or dribble kick jump shots in range in rhythm because if you don't it, it's four on five on offense and i've lived that that's a hard way to live no i i, I get it I, I think one area too you know he was seven to 20 from the field he's the best he was the best layup maker in high school basketball last year and i thought there was three or four that he normally would have finished at the rim and he didn't so i mean i, I think a, a lot of people have said he may be the key to that team i don't know if he's necessarily the key but he's certainly an important piece and I thought he did a good job of setting the table and with the steals, and I, I think he's going to only get better. And once you throw Marvin Bagley in that mix, uh, this Duke team is is pretty powerful and pretty dangerous. Who who on who on the Michigan State side stuck out to you, Doug? I, I was particularly impressed with Jaron Jackson, seven to ten from the field, nineteen points, seven rebounds, a couple threes. Uh, I, I thought he did a really good job. I, I think everybody kind of uh, saw what you saw and thought. I mean, first, I was there was nothing wrong with what Michigan State was doing into the zone, but it wasn't a lot of 21st century stuff. You know, they were running uh, where you you run a guy off a double screen, and then uh, the two big guys who are setting the double along the baseline, the top guy flashes, you hit the flash man, he hits the weak side corner. Like they're running all kind of the classic zone sets and zone offense. I'm just disappointed that they haven't gotten to the point. Um, uh, where you're setting setting ball screens, they did a little bit of it, but setting ball screens against the zone, and really and really attacking in transition against the zone, you know, it's it's one of those things to which um, it's it's crazy now how I've I've kind of lived through three generations of of zone offense. You know, when I was a kid, you used to overload a side with the ball, and then you pass the other side, and you overload that side. You still try and get the high post, but you try and get the Strong side overload, right? Like guy at the high post, guy at the low post, guy in the corner, guy in the wing, all on one side. Just get numbers on on uh, on the strong side of the basketball because zones, obviously, you have two or three guys on one side. And then, you know, when I was in college, 
and after I left college, you started to see more kind of weak side overloads, right? Where you'd, right. you'd set a ball screen on one side and you'd overload on the weak side. And, and again, you're kind of outflanking them with three versus two. Um, and, and then, you know, as the last maybe six, seven years where the NBA guys have run some zone and you start to get the European influence, you're getting a lot more ball screens against the zone, a lot more of the, the ball screen man offense against the zone. And so I, I did feel like um, we maybe didn't see a lot of what Michigan State has because they scored 81 points. But they would come down and set up and plant their feet, pass and pass and pass the high post. It was like watching a clinic, which is very good, but I, I think it covered up some of the strength of that team. And it also made, I thought Cassius Winston was tight. I know that when you, if you look at the box score, um, you know, he had, I think, 11 assists, but I didn't think he played particularly well. I, I, um, I, I thought Langford was just okay. Even Bridges, you know, he made five threes, but two or three of them were not great looks. They were just catch and jump up and shoot. Um, he obviously looks thicker and stronger, um, <clears throat> but he didn't look terribly comfortable at times against the zone. Well, he, so, he started yeah, off so that, slow, too. Yeah. I mean, if, but again, part of that is, like, you're in a, they're in a zone. Like, come down, set a ball screen, drive, kick, move it side to side. Set another, like, you don't have to have really offense against it. And the idea is like, normally when you're playing against the ball screen, you have to work there. You know, there's seven different ways to guard it. There's nobody there, you know, right. There's nobody there. <laughs> Turn a corner and play, help come kick out to play basketball. Now I, I, I understand like you're Michigan state, like Duke has never run 40 minutes of zone since my Krzyzewski has been head coach. Um, secondly, I would say run your man offense, but, Michigan State doesn't really have a man offense. They were more set-oriented, you know, secondary breaking the set. But just play basketball, and I thought, I don't think he locked up, but I thought that he was, they're, they're you know, they got great kids. They're trying to be pleasers, and they're trying to be where they're supposed to be. And so, yeah, he was, they're all trying to, like, fake a pass, make a pass, which is how you coach everything. But it just felt a little too programmed yeah. in what they were doing, and, and um, and allowed Duke to survive playing just okay and then badly getting hurt and, and to kind of figure out how they wanted to beat him. Um, and then, I'm mean, like, look, I still like Ward. There are times when she checks in to which he's lost. You know, he doesn't know where he's supposed to be. He doesn't know where he's who he's guarding. And it's hard to tell against zone. Like, I almost wish with that many prospects on both teams, like, like all right, no zone, no zone. Let's just, you got to play man. I've been I've been uh, cheering for that but, in AAU for years. <laughs> yeah, well they they have some. No, they have that in some tournaments. Some, some of them do. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, dude, I'm coaching AAU now, and what I hate is everybody just just you know casino presses. And you're like, what are you doing? Like, this is not going to help. The only thing it's going to show is if a point guard can break a press. That's the only thing it shows. You know, and it gets back to. You know, and then, you know, you just run a high ball screen and the guy, you know, turns the corner and tries to, you know, make a, make a big guy jump and then kicks it off for a dunk or kicks it off for a three. Like, it's not basketball. So, um, I like Langford. I, I like uh, Jackson. I mean, uh, you know, Jay pointed out that his, his, uh, his, his jump shot, the ball doesn't spin. But, I mean, he's long. He's a stretch four. I'm sure he's very, I'm sure he's, uh, very skilled in terms of, 
is going to face up and make a play. Um, a little, you know, I had a tough time trying to figure out. I've been told about all this bench, and, you know, McQuaid kind of gets buried there. Uh, Goins kind of gets buried there. Tom Tom, who's, you know, this great leader, he only plays 11 minutes. I, I thought McQuaid also, like, McQuaid just, he passed up on some open shots. I mean, he's a he's a shooter. It was a couple times in the corner where he had wide open looks and he, he ended up ball faking and passing. Or I mean, I thought he had some open looks that he could have he could have taken too. Yeah, probably a little tight. I mean, again, uh, I I also think look Duke wasn't Duke wasn't beating him with anybody other than uh, than Duvall and uh, Grayson. And so I you know like one of the things that always I, I thought. I thought Ben Carter looked like their best passing big. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously he, he, he doesn't move as well as he was never a great athlete. But he was a good athlete and he doesn't move that well with me. Um, but, you know, I, I, I would guess that McQuaid was probably thinking along the lines of, uh, hey, you know, I take the first one. I'll get a, I'll get a better look the second time around. It didn't come back around. But I also think, the Duke's length is better. And, I, you know, again, not being there, I couldn't tell, but it looked like their length was problematic for the Michigan State players. Well, think about uh, this. You know, 14 turnovers in three different guys. Bridges had five, yeah. Cassius Winston had five, and Jackson had four. I, I agree with you. I thought Duvall's length, particularly out on the front, was was a factor. Yeah, I mean, like, look, it, again, if Duke has a point guard that can pressure – and that can push the ball, that can create shots, that can get it to the rim. I mean, what? Well, that makes him really hard. So, uh, but Jackson would be the guy that I would say was the most surprisingly impressive um, in comparison to his teammates. Yeah, I would. I would agree. I, he. I've said this for a couple of weeks, and I don't know how much you've looked into next year's NBA draft, but I think the top five kids are, are really, really good, and I think he's the probably better than the top five of last year. But I think he's the one guy that could kind of whittle his way into that top five range because he's improved so much over the last two years. And I don't know how much you saw him prior to that game, but he's grown two inches and can step out and shoot. His, his length's a factor. Uh, I, I think he's going to be a really good prospect for them. You know, um, it's interesting. Uh, I don't I don't know what's going on with Porter and him not playing um, – I do. I don't know if you operate on this assumption. I've always been told by everybody that it's absolutely Bagley one, and anybody who's like ordered in the in the one conversation is not accurate. Is that is that what you've heard? Is that how you feel? Well, I actually think that Porter's four or five on the board right now. I, I prefer. Wow. Um, I have Marvin Bagley one, DeAndre Ayton two, Muhammad Bamba three. Um, you know. Luka Doncic is in this conversation. Unfortunately, I haven't seen him in person. Right. I've gone through tons of tape on him, but I haven't seen him yep. in person, and what he's doing against grown men is pretty impressive. But I, I think the way DeAndre Ayton has developed his body in the short time he's been at Arizona, because if you're drawing up a, a post player's body, you're not drawing it up any differently than his, but he's lifting weights yeah. for the first time in his life. He's competing. You know, all accounts by the Arizona staff is he's been absolutely tremendous. And the biggest knock on him was, is he willing to play hard and and be coachable? And he's never really been coached. And now he's got Sean Miller on him each and every day. And Muhammad Bama's starting to take off. 
So I, I'm with you. I, I think those are the top three. And then, you know, Jaron Jackson's kind of in that next tier. And, you know, Michael Porter hasn't played yet this year. So I think there's some question marks and what exactly is going on there. Yeah, and I, um, a little bit of that. And, and I think he's a super nice kid. Um, might be a little soft in terms of reputation. So, but yeah, it, it, it is interesting on how much better this draft class appears to be. Um, and it also, you know, like, look, with the, with the evolution of the NBA, um, what, a, what a draft prospect looked like five years ago and what he looked like now. I mean, you know, Okafor ain't playing for the 76ers. Like, he doesn't play. Right. That's, that's, you know, and think about how he was viewed as a prospect or how he played as a, as a college freshman winning a national championship. And so... Uh, if you're going to be a five, you better you better be able to protect the rim, able to get out and guard a ball screen. You got to be a, a list athlete on your feet. Um, you know, traditional power forwards uh, are have gone the way of the dodo. You know, and uh, and and you know, stretch threes, stretch fours, or even you know, undersized fours. I mean, that's that's kind of the way. And so it's it's just it's fascinating to see. Um, you know, guys like yourself that have evaluated players for years, when you have to evaluate up a level, uh, it's one thing to have to evaluate up a level to the college game, but it's actually changed in the NBA game. Like, I remember, uh, you know, Desmond Mason, who I played with at Oklahoma State, you know, we played him at the four my first two years there. And it's like, well, you know, to play in the NBA, he's got to be a three. Like, now, if he was going to the NBA, he'd be a four. Right. You know? Well, it's game, you the game has the gone so much smaller, too, and it's it's changing right before our eyes, honestly. That's why I'm, in, I'm yeah, intrigued I mean, by what happens with this draft because of a guy like DeAndre Ayton and Muhammad Bamba. Um, and look, this draft isn't deep. It's actually really bad once you get past eight or nine. Not even comparable to yep. last year's draft from a depth standpoint. But those top five or six are... Ooh, I'm really impressed with those top five six. So let's uh, let's switch gears to the uh, the second game of the night. I, I didn't think that uh, uh, this game was muddy. I didn't think it was played at nearly the same level. Was sloppy, poor shooting percentages all around. Kentucky turned it over 18 times. Um, Svi Mikhailu, I thought made some key shots for Kansas. W- what was your kind of big takeaway from that one? Um. Yeah, I mean, like, I kind of feel like it's, uh, without Preston, it's kind of every Kansas team the last couple years, right? Like, you got two or three guys to get after, get in the lane, you know, Graham being back and Gerald Vick being improved. And, God, it feels like Steve Mahalik's been there forever, doesn't it? It really does. They've all been there forever. But you're like, man, I remember when he was a 17-year-old freshman. Now he's, like, only a 21-year-old senior. Um, and he still has a tendency, like he's still a tease, you know, like where Grayson Allen, like if it's open, it's in. He doesn't have that. Like he, it's more, it's still more reputation than reality in terms of, uh, shot making. And, and he takes him, he does not, he has not, does not have good floaters or finishing shots, whatever. Um, and I thought, I thought Kentucky's blank bothered them some. Um, and then, you know, Kentucky, it was honestly kind of what I expected. I mean, this team reminds me a lot of Anthony Davis's team 
Uh, I remember they played kind of the same game uh, the year they won it with Anthony Davis, and the only difference was Anthony da- you just couldn't score on them, and Anthony Davis was just a remarkable sh- shot blocker, and so you could not score at the rim, and the rest of the team was long, and they didn't really run much, and and they just kind of figured out a way to score enough points to beat you. I kind of feel like this team has a little bit more skill, like, but they have no real experience, and older guys are steadier. They make shots. They just play to win. Um, so, yeah, I just I, there's a lot of flaws in this team. They got a lot of guys. They got a lot of dudes, but they have no point guard. Um, Green, Green is exactly how he was advertised to me by people who – I thought were balanced in their analysis of him. Just, I, I think there's a reason they were still going after point guards late. Um, he's not, I'm not saying he's a bad player, but he's not a great athlete. And he's not a great true point guard. And so when you, when you have that many dudes, you've got to have somebody who dimes them up. You've yep. got to have, they, they should have recruited with this group of shooter. I know they got the shooter from Wisconsin for next year. Boy, they wish they had him this year. And if they had he a would point help guard, them this like, year too. I, Oh, I mean, put him on that team and just have him stand on the wing and stretches out the floor. Um, so yeah, I mean, I just it was a lot of something. I also I'm also intrigued, and, and I do think like I don't think Cal does a great job of developing guys. I don't. I don't think he runs any any great in terms of great stuff. But I do think what's underrated about John Calipari is he does kind of figure it out and where he wants to score, how he wants to score. And they'll try some things, you know. They're running floppy now, but they'll they'll evolve as a team, and they'll be much better once they get to SEC play. Uh, I just I'm I'm just a little bit out of a loss as to like what are they? I don't know. Like what have coaches been doing? Like Michigan State, I don't like their zone offense, but they had a zone offense. I can't tell you what Kentucky was doing. Um, you know, like Duke, I thought was very rudimentary. They're running single double. They're running. UCLA into a side ball screen and double way. Like, again, kind of classic 1990s basketball, but they put their, their guys and stuff and just give them a framework and let them play. I, I didn't feel like, and maybe it's because they don't have a dominant point guard and they don't have a veteran out there. I didn't feel like I could truly tell what they were trying to do. So it's hard for me to be critical of <laughs> Cal other than I can't really tell what the point of it. Other than they try to play hard and get after it. And when they get out in transition, that's when the thinking stops and the, the overall talent takes over. Yeah. I, I think what you said, too, you said they have a lot of dudes. And, and I think that's a great point. But I, I wonder if those dudes all fit. Like, I feel like they're they're missing a little. And obviously, it's really early. And there's going to be plenty of time yep. for them to come together. But I don't know if they have an identity yep. right now. And I think the, the most glaring thing to me is the, the lack of a shooter. You know, they were 3 of 13 from 3 in that game. And I thought Kevin Knox is their best offensive option. But even Kevin is not a guy, and that's who they went to late. He's not a guy you give the ball to and say, hey, go, go create a shot and, and hit a game winner. And that's how he ended up fading into the um, out of bounds. And obviously they didn't have great spacing on that play. But I, I think they would have been better off maybe posting him up or, or even letting Ham- Hamadou kind of create because that's more what he does. Now he's not as good of a shooter. Um, but I, I think the the lack of of um, dominance from the point guard position in shooting is certainly a factor. I did think that Shea Alexander did a really good job on defense. His length impacted no, uh, things on that end for no sure. No question. And I thought uh, uh, was it Sasha um, 
Kalia Jones. Uh, Kalia Jones. Yeah, I mean, I thought, like, that dude came in, and they had all kinds of issues in the first half rebounding. And I thought the the two of them really did a good job of solidifying them on the, you know, started to rebound and showed some toughness. Um, but, uh, but you know, the, the other, like, but let's also give Kentucky a little bit of credit here. That's a Kansas team that has all those guys that have been through battles. A Kansas team that went on a preseason trip. And they still found a way to right there at the end, you know? Oh, no, it was so, anybody's game five minutes ago. You know, Malik Newman hits a big shot. So, and the problem with Kansas is, boy, the England, right, uh, where he gets into a car accident, and they're like, hey, whose car is that? <laughs> <laughs> okay, here we go. Um, and then if you would have thought something was going to happen with KU, you would have thought it would be the FBI pro because, they, because it's an Adidas school, right? I mean, that's the – that was the everybody just kind of waiting and holding their breath, or maybe UCLA Adidas school had left Adidas, um, and to have Billy Preston in a car accident, they get the uh, the late Robert Trailer treatment. You know whose car is this deal? Uh, that was that's kind of fascinating to watch. But but the thing about Kansas is, gosh, uh, yeah, they're, they're good, they're fine, but God, they got a lot of just. Small combo guards that all kind of do the same thing. And I, they're going to win the Big 12 probably by two or three games. The Big 12 is not very good this year. Uh, West Virginia looked wildly disappointing against A&M, and I'm sure they'll get better. Um, but, yeesh. I mean, Oklahoma, Texas, I like Mobamba too, but uh, Texas, are they going to go from last to first that quickly? I just I don't right. know if I see it. So, so it's like I feel like – I almost feel bad for Bill Self in that he's had teams that were really, really good that should have won a national championship that didn't. And yet a year like this where they're probably going to win the Big 12 and he'll probably privately pull you aside and like, we're just okay. Um, <laughs> on, on the other hand, like this is, this team, you know, could be, they could have a little of Villanova, right? Like Villanova, Josh Hart's become an NBA player and, Miles Bridges will become will be an NBA player. I think Jalen Brunson probably will too. But when they won it, you know, it was they won on toughness and experience and ball handling and and they were smaller than you, but they out rebounded you, which is exactly what Kansas was doing for most of the night last night. So I don't want to be all doom and gloom. I just I, I just would have thought Kansas would dust them considering how much experience they had. And how much I think of their backcourt. Well, I think if Kansas had Billy Preston, it may have been a little bit of a different game. And they had five guys play over 32 minutes a game. I, they they don't have depth right now. I mean, Mitch Lightfoot was playing meaningful minutes. That's not a recipe for, for success. Um, hey, man, he was my assistant coach at the, the Bill Self. He was the, my assistant coach at the Bill Self uh, fantasy camp this year. So don't take shots at Lightfoot. <laughs> Kidding. I, I just think that they, they – the team without Billy certainly lacks depth, but to, I mean, still, the, Kansas playing against a really talented Kentucky team. Obviously, they were young, but they were a little undermanned too. I, I would have expected Devontae Graham to to have a little bit better game, but you know, five turnovers, three or fourteen from the field. But we talked about Che Alexander's defense and and how his length impacted it. So I, I think Kansas is going to win the Big Twelve, just like you said. Um, and once they get Billy Preston back, I think they'll they'll look a little better. But that that whole game was was just a little sloppy. 
I just the one thing was like, there's nothing more college basketball 2017 the fact that we didn't have Billy Preston, Marvin Bagley gets hurt, and yeah, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, can we just have? Can they just play basketball and nobody be suspended and and all the best players play? You know what I mean? Yeah, no, no question. I mean, we, I think the basketball community was in need of of something. I mean, it was nice to have. Grayson Allen-like performance, but you're right. Losing Marvin Bagley two minutes in, Billy Preston not playing, not at full strength. It's 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 like the whole game is out of sync, and we can't get it back to just rocking like normal. Doug, I appreciate you jumping on the podcast, man. Thanks. This is De'Aaron Fox. Fox, who has his first 30-point game at Kentucky, has oh. two more for 32 on the night. Well, they said he was like John Wall. And you're looking to the sideline with Evan Daniels. Would like to once again thank Nebraska head coach Tim Miles and Fox Sports analyst Doug Gottlieb for taking the time out and jumping on the sidelines podcast. I would also like to thank you for being an active listener. The best way that you can support this podcast is to shoot over to Apple Podcasts and or your favorite podcast app and hit the subscribe button. You can also support this podcast by leaving a rating and or a review. Both of those things are very helpful. You can also shoot me a note over on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at Evan Daniels. Would love to know what you think about the interviews and who you think might be a good next guest. Thanks again for listening and have a great week.